3: Mind. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn what well, I learned at 20 is Equity.
1: Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, where we will never charge you interest rates. But keeping Ren's interest is a real art, and that's why we're doing this episode in two parts. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? So
0: sorry, mate. Well, I wasn't wasn't paying attention. wasn't wasn't <laughs> an interesting <laughs> enough opening for me,
1: <laughs> mate. Keeping your interest is a real art. It is. <laughs> so, as as I said in the intro, there, Ren, this is part two of Ask Us Anything for August. We kicked off the last episode with part one answering all the questions that have come in from our listeners and the community over the last month. There's been some absolute classics. We've pulled out some of the ones that we've found interesting and we hope that will give some value and great insight to the rest of the community as well. So thank you for everyone that has sent in your questions. Apologies if we haven't reached uh, yours yet, and if we don't, uh, we'll try and answer it online.
0: If we don't answer your question and you listen to the last episode, you know what you need to do. But if you didn't listen to the last episode... Well, one, we may have answered your question on the last episode, so you should listen. But <laughs> also, you could go to our Equity Mates discussion group where the community and Bryce and I are answering questions on Facebook. So it's if you just search in Facebook Equity Mates discussion group, you should be able to find it. And so far, no one has found Bryce's mystery account. So, keep looking. Keep sending us messages if you think you know who it is. Don't send messages to that person because if you're wrong, they might not appreciate it. But, you know, we keep looking. I'm trying to figure it out as well. He's not telling me.
1: Yes, Ren, well, you keep looking. I'm not sure how you're looking considering that you never go on our social (laughs) media accounts. So, yes, I am as baffled as you are as to how this whole process is working. I'm going to have to start
0: commenting as myself rather than as equity mates to prove (laughs) that I go on. (laughs) Or is that my fake account? I don't know.
1: (laughs) Nice, Ren. So yes, head across to our Facebook group, Equity Mates Discussion Group and start joining the conversations over there. Ask all the questions that you want. Also, please rate and review us if you haven't already. It goes an absolute long way to help us sharing the investing journey with everyone around the world. So really appreciate it if you could rate and review. Now let's kick into the show, Ren. I think we're about halfway through. Was it my turn or your turn?
0: Uh, It doesn't really matter. It's been a few days since anyone listened to the last episode anyway. So I'll ask the first question. Okay. The questioner Daniel asks about global recessions and economic downturns, which has been a big topic of conversation recently. Yeah. So Daniel wants to know what are the signs or indicators that investors should be aware of? And then what are the ways that you can minimize the impact of a downturn? And then any ways that you can capitalize on it as well?
1: Nice. Great question, Daniel. Some of the ways that you can, I guess, foresee or predict a global recession, very hard to do. Not even the best experts in the world were predicting the global financial crisis. I think there were just a small few who managed to successfully say that it was coming. But look, very hard to do. Timing the market in both senses in a, in for a bear and bull run is very tough. So, I wouldn't worry about trying to do that. There are some indicators that uh, historically are, are used. And obviously, if you're looking at GDP growth, and that's probably one of the main indicators, if that starts to go into negative territory for consecutive quarters, then obviously, you then technically start falling into a recession. So, I'd be keeping an eye on GDP growth, both domestically and internationally and then other things like household spending and wage growth, growth inflation and then more specifically you could look at things like development approvals how many people are building new houses these are all economic indicators that you know let us all know about the the strength and health of an economy and these are, are what economists generally look at when it comes to trying to trying to assess the longer term direction of the economy so Those are probably some of the key indicators to keep an eye on and also asset prices.
0: You you haven't mentioned the most topical one that, if you believe the media, almost guaranteed a recession. Housing prices. No, the yield curve.
1: Yeah, well, I kind of wanted to stay out of that one, Ren, because we've spoken about it and yeah, you are right though. The yield curve is traditionally... Yeah, well,
0: I've thrown you right in it.
1: (laughs) The yield curve is traditionally an indicator of a recession when that yield curve inverts meaning that the short-term interest rate is higher than the longer-term interest rate that usually is a precursor to a recession without going too much into the weeds that is another indicator
0: let's um let's not go too much into the weeds because no if you don't if you want to know more about it uh, thought starters this week analogized it to a, a sports team, and they, the New York, it's a New York Times article. They explain it better than we can. Yeah. But I, I just, I think the one thing because the media coverage has been breathless about it, but I don't, I don't think there's anything as no such thing as a perfect indicator.
1: So yeah, that's a good point. They all kind yeah. of, yeah, bubble away separately, and one recession might be triggered by one more than the next recession. So there's never, as you said, Ren, one main indicator that uh, you can conclusively say that oh, because of that, we're going into a recession. Keep an eye on them all. To move into the next part of the question, Ren, what are some of the best ways to minimise the impact of downturns? Now, there are a number of assets that are traditionally known to perform uh, better than others in, in recessions, or at least, uh, act as defensive positions in your portfolio. And those are assets such as gold and bonds. And, uh, you, there are a number of ETFs that you can use to minimize the impact of downturns. So, you know, consider those if you're looking to protect your portfolio in some way. Obviously, cash as well performs better in a recession than stocks that are going down. So from my point of view, I always like to have a bit of cash on the side. And that leads into this third part of the question, Ren, which is, should young investors be cautious of an economic downturn in the near future and invest conservatively or ignore it and be aggressive? Well, in my opinion, Ren, we have absolute time on our side, which is probably the biggest advantage Uh, for a millennial investor and being consistent and having an, an approach of entering into the market consistently over a longer period of time, you almost negate the impacts of these recessions and then bear and bull markets because you tend to then just get the average of the market over a longer period of time. So considering time is on our side, yes, there is some merit in having a somewhat conservative approach at the moment in my point of view. As I said, I've got some cash on the side waiting for when we do have a bit of a correction. Keeping that in mind, when the market's dropping at the moment, 5%, 10%, I am buying in to take advantage of those drops. But by all means, with so much time on our side, I wouldn't be not investing at all. I think being in the market is still much better than not being in the market and being scared of these sorts of things. So I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on this, Ren.
0: I mean, I, I broadly agree with everything you're saying. I think the biggest risk of waiting for the recession to hit and then deploying your cash is the timing risk. Yep. We grew up, We, I mean, I wasn't investing in 2008, but we have read about and sort of seen the returns that people got from investing right at the bottom of that market. And there's a lot of people, I think, in our generation, I mean, someone at work was saying it to me just this week that like, they can't wait for the recession to come so they can buy all these cheap assets and make some real money and it's attractive like i've had that thought as well but there's a timing risk mm. the the yield curve may have, may have inverted there may be a trade war brewing who knows donald trump gets, wins another 4 years there may be a hot war brewing mm. but we just there is a timing risk and if you are just keeping your cash uh, like 100% cash on the sideline you might be keeping it there for a long time. So I think, you know, everything in moderation including moderation, having some cash tucked away when there looks like there's trouble brewing is important, but at the same time, having some money in the market, you know, with a long-term focus, with a with an intention to ride out whatever downturns is also important because who knows? There like it is inevitable there will be another recession at some point. It is highly likely that that recession comes in our lifetime, but really, <laughs> is it a year? Is it a month? Is it ten years? Anyone who tells you they know for certain is uh telling lies. Is lying to you, or is or is ignorant? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just like we don't know. Yeah, imagine if um, one doesn't come in you know, our lifetime. <laughs> well, hopefully that means we have really good economic prospects and not really short lifetimes. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> but yeah, look for, for me personally, I've uh, upped the amount of gold that I have in my portfolio. I'm looking at, well, yeah, I've got some cash uh, that I'm sort of having a rainy day account. Rainy day slash throw it all in the market if it if another JFC happens account is that what so, yeah, it's yeah, called look, is that uh,
1: what you've like, called it in your bank
0: account <laughs> 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 yeah that's what I've named it it's really hard to transfer into it because you got to write it out <laughs> yeah I, I think I think people get the broad idea of where we're going yeah, be yeah. ready but don't sacrifice it all any exposure to the market. You know, like we have a mate, and I won't name and shame him, but we have a mate who thought that the US market was going to implode and collapse uh, since I think about 2014 and he's missed a lot of gains Mm. in that five Mm. years. So, yeah, like you you don't want to be that person. No,
1: no, very good point, Ren. So we will move on. I've got a question for you, Ren, from Simon around compound interest. And, and compounding more generally. So he's trying to get his head around it. He believes he understands the benefits of the slow growth approach, and but he is curious what stocks are impacted by compounding. For example, do the stocks or ETFs have to pay a dividend to achieve compounding, or does the general growth of a company from, say, $5 to $50 equate as compound interest growth?
0: So... I think before before I answer the question, we should peel the curtain back on the Equimates production process, <laughs> where there, there may have been a slight disagreement between uh, the term compound interest and the term compound. So maybe we clarify, and then in, in doing so, it will it will answer the the key part of the question. So okay. the the compounding effect doesn't require any dividend or income to be paid out. The compounding effect is just the exponential growth in the value of the asset. So essentially, if your investment grows at 5% a year, every year, that 5% becomes worth more and more and more because it's 5% of a bigger number. So the the compounding effect for stocks does not require you to be paid income it just requires stocks to grow over a long period of time and that that can lead to exponential returns if you hold it for long enough compound interest that the it's in the term interest requires a payment and the distinction but and compound interest has the same effect as the compounding of stocks it's because the interest uh, that you get paid is then reinvested, the, the base becomes more and more every year. So the interest that you earn becomes more and more every year. And you see that same exponential growth curve in the, in the amount of money you're getting or the amount of money you have. The difference is simple interest where you get paid the same amount every year. And so it doesn't, it doesn't grow over time. So compounding, the the compounding effect of stocks and compound interest are both the big drivers of that wealth creation that comes from investing young and uh, holding for a long period of time. So to answer the specific question, you don't need a stock or an ETF to pay a dividend or a yield to achieve a compounding effect however you get it, it's all about seeing that consistent growth over a long period of time.
1: Nice, Ren. Very clear. I'm glad we sorted that out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm going to ask you a question that we didn't have a dispute over, but not too late. We could have one on air. Okay. Um, a, <laughs> Curtis has written into us and asked about a stock with a price-to-book ratio of 034 so it's the book value of the company, which is the the value of its assets, the net value of its assets, that is three times the company's price. So, stock price. Yeah, it's stock price. So, for example, if a if a company has you know it, it's all the assets it's own less its short term liabilities, or all the assets it owns less its liabilities is worth hundred dollars the stock is only trading for – the market cap of the stock is only 30 bucks, So, it's a, it's a strange situation and the questioner wants to know what – I guess in general what's going on, but specifically what are the risks involved in the, in an investment like this?
1: Without having done some detailed um, information seeking on this stock, just based on what you have said, Ren, and the definition of price to book – I would be very happy as an investor to pay $30 and receive $100 worth of assets. So from my point of view, at very top level, it seems like this is a reasonably good purchase from a value point of view. Now, as I said, to caveat that, I don't know the story behind the stock and I don't know the reasons for its price to be where it is. But as I said, at that top level, these are the sorts of value investing opportunities that some of the some of these deep value that guys look for would you agree ren
0: yeah so there, there's a yeah we, in general with a few caveats yeah. um, so uh, you're 100% right if a company owns assets worth 100 million dollars and it's only worth the company's only trading at 50 million dollars potentially the company could sell all its assets return its money to shareholders and and you could you can make a good deal of money doing it so the worst case scenario is the company's operations don't work and it sells all its assets you still make money like that is that's the deep value investing that Benjamin Graham uh, epitomized and Warren Buffett started with there are risks though so the big one would be Maybe the market knows something about those assets that we don't. Potentially, either the assets are overvalued on the company's books, so the book value isn't a true reflection of the price that could be received if the company sold the assets. You know, if a... I'm just pulling examples out of thin air here, but if a manufacturing company in Ohio owns a whole bunch of manufacturing equipment and it was valued at the time when manufacturing was big in the United States, you know, it it was not going to be able to sell that, that equipment for pennies on the dollar. And maybe the company has reduced the value of the assets, um, but not enough or something like that. I don't, the the other thing could be that whatever the company is doing in its operations, the market expects it to deplete those assets or erode the value of the assets in the coming years. And so that's been priced into the stock. I don't have an example, example to pull out of thin air there, but that, that's probably the call out. So yeah, 100% right. Could be a great deep value play. Could be something where you, you found a gem and the market hasn't priced in uh, the assets that the company owns. Or it could be that the market has actually priced something in that we're, we're not aware of.
1: Mm, nice. I might look into it a bit further. It seems like it could be a good opportunity. So for anyone interested, the stock was – was it was the Reject Shop, wasn't it? TRS, yeah. Uh, TRS is the ticker. Yeah. So the Reject Shop, I think they must have reported recently. So um, check it out if anyone's interested to know. They've got a price to book of 0.34. Interesting. Take with All right, Ren. So thanks to Curtis. We've got a question in now from Robert. Uh, He is looking at a a share called, uh, with the ticker CPH, I think it's in marijuana if I'm not wrong. Um, It's going to be acquired by a Canadian company that is offering $5.50 per share, yet the current share price is around $4.50, which to Robert looks like a bit of an arbitrage opportunity where he can make about a 25% return, assuming that he sells the stock issue straight away. So his question is why is it not trading at the price that it's being offered at 550 why is it still hanging around at 450 is it because it's changing exchanges or or is there anything hidden and unknown at this stage what are your thoughts
0: So it's a good question cuz this will happen with almost every merger or acquisition that you see in the market all with varying degrees of closeness to the acquiring companies price that they've offered. So in this case, the share price will have risen to $4.50, but the company is offering to acquire those shares at $5.50. So you'd think, great, I'll buy the shares on the market now for $4.50 and the company will acquire them for $5.50 when the merger or acquisition goes through. The logic's solid. The reason the market doesn't bid the price all the way up to $5.50 is they price in the risk that the merger or acquisition won't happen, that the sale will fall through, that the competition regulator gets involved, whatever it is, there is a risk that that $5.50 acquisition price doesn't get realized. And as a general rule of thumb, the closer the company's current share price is to the acquiring price, the less risk the market is pricing in that the acquisition won't happen. So, you know, if if this share price goes from $4.50 to $5.50, what you can see, what you can say is that the market is certain or the market is extremely confident that the acquisition will happen. However, at $4.50, you can say that the market is pricing some risk that the acquisition won't go through. If the share price doesn't move when an acquisition is announced, you could say that the market is pretty confident the acquisition won't happen. So, as a general rule of thumb, there are sometimes some other reasons, but as a general rule of thumb, that's generally the first thing that you look for. It's it's all about the risk that, in, that a, a merger won't happen. Now, some investors do very well for themselves by being extremely analytical and trying to have a better understanding of what mergers will and won't go through and where they have a high level of conviction that a merger or acquisition will go through then they make that trade then they buy this stock for 450 and they get paid if the if they're right and the acquisition does go through so it's a completely fair investment strategy if you wanted to do that just keep in mind that it's not guaranteed And that's why the price difference is there in the first place. Nice, Ren.
2: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage.
1: That was great. Very clear again. You're getting good at these.
0: Mate, we are. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> practice makes perfect, as they say. So, uh, question for you. Yep. Someone who has gone back from episode one to now in the last few months, Epic. which That's a to, commitment. Be, to be honest, still surprises me that people do that. One, because we were pretty rubbish when we begin. Hey, 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 hey,
1: hey, hey, hey.
0: <laughs>
1: Be, careful I mean, audio, Be careful what you say. Be careful what you say. Our saying.
0: audio quality isn't great now, but our audio quality was uh, as rubbish as we were back in the day. Hey, the audio
1: might have been rubbish, which it was, but the content
0: was bang on. So what I think <laughs> is that people who are interested in uh, or haven't listened from the beginning should now go back and listen to see if I uh, what I'm talking about. Yes, Yes. That's that's how you bump those download numbers up. That's that's how professional we are. <laughs> anyway, no, full the uh, the to question everyone who does
1: go from one to 162 in a few months like that that's a massive um, massive commitment to mates. So
0: yeah, but my concern really is how many people start at one and say, oh, I can't listen to this audio, and then true. Well, we've got a few to- we've
1: got a few things in play to fix that. So stay tuned. Well, you you. Yes. You know what's coming, so well, you I mean,
0: need to stay tuned. By, by definition, if people are listening now, they've made it through. All
1: they've—all this is the first episode they've ever listened to. True. Mm. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah, so what's the question?
0: <laughs> anyway, question. <laughs> so the, uh, the questioner, Chris, has a question about target date funds. He wants to know if they exist in Australia and if they do, how do we access them?
1: So target date funds are, or TDF as they're known in investing circles, are essentially funds where they have a particular objective over a longer period of time and and they're they're very common when it comes to uh, investing for retirement. The main reason for that is the idea of a TDF is that over time the mix of assets within the fund automatically change to a more conservative approach, the closer it gets to, I guess, the target date of that fund. So let's just say I'm aiming to retire in 2050, Ren. There w- there may be some products out there generally called things like Portfolio 2050 or, or, or Target 250 or, or whatever it may be. And they're set up specifically to, I guess, get me to 2050 with a bit of a nest egg. And the closer you get to that retirement age, obviously, the more conservative you want to become with your investing and to protect that nest egg that you've been developing over the last 40 years. So the mix of assets automatically changes as you get closer to that target date from from a growth sort of objective more to a stable slash conservative objective. It's an interesting product uh, they are, they're very specific and in terms of availability in Australia, I personally haven't come across any, but that's because I haven't gone out there and, and looked for any of these sorts of products, not really in my uh, horizon at the moment. I'm sure, and this is um, without actually doing any research on it, but I'm sure Vanguard would have something along these lines perhaps. I'm not sure if they do in Australia, but I'm sure they do overseas have you come across anything like this, Ren?
0: So I think a lot of super funds are really this. To a certain degree, they have a general idea of where you're go- when you're going to retire based on your age, and they invest accordingly. And really, that that's what a target date fund is. As you get closer and closer to the target date, they move from more aggressive and to a more risk aver- uh, adverse approach. So. I am the same as you. I haven't looked into whether they exist in Australia. If they don't, stay tuned for the Equity Mates Target Date Fund coming to a exchange near you.
1: <laughs> Not bad, Ren.
0: All right. I think we've got two to go, three to go. So let's rip through them because yep. we've been asking and answering a lot of questions. As uh, as we've said, if your question hasn't come up, get onto the discussion forum. We love the fact that you ask so many questions, but we also just can't answer as many questions as you ask. So in saying that, we're going to rip through some more. Bryce, what are your thoughts on upcoming domestic online banking services such as Vault Bank?
1: Interesting. I think firstly, any sort of increase in competition with products like this when it comes to the banks is good news for consumers taking away i guess the, the monopoly that the big four have held for a number of years now is always a good thing having options when it comes to savings accounts and and ways to manage your money is great so i welcome these sorts of i guess new ventures to the to the market in terms of vault bank i think there's another one called neo bank and i think another one called 86 400 that are all starting to hit the market I had a bit of a quick squeeze. I don't really, and I'd be very welcome to understand more about this from from listeners or perhaps yourself, friend. But I don't really see the huge advantage for myself at this stage in moving across. I'm pretty happy with my banking setup at the moment, and I, I'm guess, I guess I'm yet to see how they really do play out from a technology point of view. From what I've been reading, they they reckon they're just going to be good at. Helping people budget and keeping everyone on track and giving you more transparency over your
0: transactions and all this sort of stuff. So But yeah. you you are a noted defender of the Big Four. <laughs> even through the Royal Commission you, the you, are, uh, you are a noted <laughs> defender. You kept pitching that episode idea of why we I love banks and you should too. And I had to keep killing it. So of course, you don't see the merit in these new ideas.
1: <laughs> Again, Ren is telling lies. I do not use the big four other than uh, Comsec for investing, but um, no, Ren, I am with one of the small or <laughs> smaller banks supporting our local community. So, yeah, well, what, what's your what's your thinking on it?
0: So as a as an actual Big Four stooge, I um I've never gone outside the Big Four framework. In fact, I've never gone outside the Big One framework for most of my things. Commonwealth Bank came to my school and got me into Dolomites, and I stayed. I actually I, I think, as you said, competition is great. There you go. So you would hate them. <laughs> I think competition is great. I think it is important because it will improve the service levels of the big four if uh, these new and innovative online banks that can operate off a lower cost base and can be more responsive to the customer's needs. Ideally, if they're operating off a lower cost base, it will mean they'll be able to offer more attractive spreads. So, They'll be able to offer better interest rates for depositors, for people saving their money with the banks. And they'll be able to offer better uh, interest rates for people borrowing money from them because they need to recover less to fund their cost of operations. So look, I, I I think it will be good for consumers. If you're thinking about putting your money into a new bank, just keep one important thing in mind. The federal government uh, guarantee bank deposits up to $250,000. So if for whatever reason a bank collapses, the government will step in to guarantee the money that you've saved with that bank if and only if the bank is an authorised deposit uh, taking institution, an ADI. So not saying that these new banks will collapse, but it, there is a, there's a certain safety in knowing that the government are guaranteeing your deposit. So that would just be one thing that I would look for. Just, um, just for peace of mind, make sure that if you're saving a substantial amount of money with some of these new banks, that they're authorised deposit-taking institutions. Good call
1: out there, Ren. Something that I actually hadn't thought of. So thank you for bringing that to, to my attention and uh, to the attention of, uh, of the community. So good shout.
0: And important to keep in mind that I don't think any brokers, including the big four brokers, are under that guarantee. So it's not the same is if you're with, with your brokerage account, but with your savings account it is. Uh, someone someone may correct me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's the case.
1: Yeah, nice. Will Ren we will leave it there. I think we, there's a few more that we could get through, but we might just address them online. Um, thank you to everyone that has written in. Apologies if we didn't get to your questions. There's just so many coming in that we almost need a whole week to answer all of them. So. Head over to our Facebook group and, and ask them on there. Everyone's starting to get involved and, and answer questions on on everyone's behalf. So it's a, a really good place at the moment to ask anything uh, investing or otherwise related, if if you feel so inclined. So jump over to Equity Mates discussion group on on Facebook, and then feel free to keep the questions coming our way. We'll, we'll do another Ask Us Anything for the month of September um, at the end of next month. We have a forum online, Ask Us Anything, where you can um, send all those questions in directly for this episode if you would like. Again, please rate and review us if you haven't already. And, Ren, I, it just struck me that you know how we did pencil in 4th and 5th of September for, or whenever it was, Yes, yeah, September for our shows. Well, luckily, it was a light pencil, and I think next week we'll be able to reveal the true dates where people can pen in when we will be coming down to Melbourne and also doing a bit of a shindig in Sydney. So I'm looking forward to announcing that in due course.
0: Can't wait. Get your... uh... Get your pens out and throw your erasers away because this one's in the books.
1: Absolutely. So, really pumped to let everyone know about what's been in, in development for that. Um, super keen to meet you for the first time, Ren. So, haven't seen you before.
0: <laughs> One of us will be behind a curtain at all times because we're actually the same person.
1: <laughs> we're really good ventr- ventriloquists. Is that what they are? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: One of us, anyway. So we'll leave it there, and always good to chat stocks with you. And looking forward to chatting again next week. All right, sounds good.
2: Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how they pertain to your individual situation.
3: Equity mates. I will say this about investing: everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at twenty is yeah,